Testing. This is a this quick is test. Quick test, quick test, quick test, test, test cuz it's your boy, he's running late and oh my god, I got to go. Oh my god, am I making the papers and the things and the doy? I yeah, I got to do my paper route as the young boy. I got to make my buck 50 that's supposed to last me all month. Yeah, all month. Got to help mom buy the milk. Got to help her buy the leche. <laughs> leche? <laughs> yes. Oh my god. What's up? Now, I know we say we wouldn't tell the episode numbers anymore, but it's 20 episodes. I, I'm proud of that. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that is that's a milestone. You're is, right. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Woo! What up? It's the 20th episode of Too Many Flips. That's right. That's two, the number numeral two at the front and X at the end. And we're here. We're, we're here, here to do our fucking 20th episode. Jamming on the one. Jamming. My name's Ian. Uh, my name is uh, Ben. No, it's just Jammin. Ben, not uh, Ben. But yeah, Ben Jamming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought that's where we were that taking it. That was perfect. That looked okay. Ben Jamming. <laughs> oh, Gang, we're excited to be here. We got a lot of cool, cool, cool stuff to cover, so we're just gonna jump right into it. Tasty trailers, all right. That's right. Tasty, tasty trailer, trailer. Mm, that's good. That's real good. All right, first up on the docket, this ain't something you want to sleep on. What's that? We're talking what? about Doctor Sleep. PhD. That's right. This is a PhD <laughs> and nap time, baby. <laughs> Holy shit! I wish that was a thing. I would. <laughs> fucking already yeah. be in grad school. Right. Doctor Sleep comes out November 8th. It's directed by Mike Flanagan and it's starring Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson, Emily Allen Lind, and Kaylee Curran. In the years following the events of The Shining, maybe a little film or book you heard of, a now adult Dan Torrance meets a young girl with similar powers to his and tries to protect her from a cult known as the True Knot who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. Woo! Oh baby, we are going back to the Overlook. We're going back. And this ain't yep. no film you wanna overlook. Our sleep on. Oh, oh God. Yeah. The puns <laughs> abound, my friends. The puns abound. Right. Ben, what did you see in this trailer? What caught your eye? What, what, who, how did it make you feel? Who absolutely loved the Stanley Kubrick film. But at the same time, I think it's going to try to make more of a direct adaptation. I, I haven't read Dr. Sleep, but I, I, I know bits and pieces of it. So I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with the um, the the actual text of the sequel. Mm -hmm. uh, and from what I can discern from the bits that I know, it looks more of a direct adaptation, like I just mentioned, than the Kubrick Shining, which we know, um, you know, Steve doesn't care for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Stephen King was not an original, <laughs> not a fan of the movie with Jack Nicholson, which surprises mm -hmm. me because it looks like they are revisiting that particular <laughs> film universe in remarkable detail. Something that really stuck out to me was that the supposed flashback scenes, because we don't know how time's going to work in this shit, the supposed flashback scenes to Dan's young life in The Overlook look phenomenal. Like, it looks right. like they literally used clips from The Shining. Like I don't know if they did, that they but- got too looks just looks like, just like his like, ass. Holy fuck? shit. It, uh, it looks, uh, so I honestly initially stumbled across this trailer by accident. I had YouTube on in the background and I did the trailer started playing before a video I was trying to watch. I think I was watching some video on how to make jorts or something. <laughs> And they, I just didn't get to the skip ad button fast enough. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised because I looked, the, the trailer starts off in Dan Torrance's, I don't know, sort of attic apartment, which by the way, there is a lot of like cool symmetry and design and almost callback to the weird architecture of the Overlook in his little apartment that he has. I, 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 I saw mm -hmm. in terms of like the roof and the scale, it's just looks very 
creepy and weird. But to stay on track, I saw like we, we see, I don't know, is it the shining communicating with him? It's leaving messages on his wall. I think so. And he eventually like starts to leave messages back and then the the shine or whatever is trying to communicate via these scribblings on his apartment room wall is like, boom, red rum, dude. It's fucking murder all over again. Holy right. shit. Uh, yeah, that's gotta, do you, th do you think he might, uh, I don't know. It's a, do you think this might, it might allude to like a shared universe in this as well? Well, that, that wouldn't be surprising because Stephen King loves to do that. He loves to take parts from other stories and drop them into the book or story that he is currently telling. We right. see it a little bit in Cell and how it has like a crossover with the Dark Tower series. How The Stand has the same villain from like... 13 of his other books. Because they're all connected. They are, they're all connected, They're all somehow yeah. connected, even if it's minor connected. Yep, there. Uh, yep. Have you had the theory that the, the, the Losers Club have The Shining as well? I, you know, I think I have heard that. Yeah. And that, that makes... A, a good bit of sense. Mm -hmm. They they don't necessarily have as overt powers as Danny does mm -hmm. or as this young girl might seem to, but they are able to, essentially in the book, the movie adaptations don't do this as well. The only thing that scares Pennywise and it is the children's imaginations. Like they, they are the ones who imbue themselves with the power via their own creativity to fight this monster. And so, yeah, there's, there's a really good argument that they could have the shine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, well, also I have to, before we move on to the next trailer, you got to point out that uh, iconic door with, <laughs> Oh, the elevators, the, the elevators with the blood, or, like, that blood, but also just him poking in the, door, oh! the, the hole in the, door looking what like a, Jack Nicholson. What a good little reveal where he yeah. looks through like Johnny's little fire axe hole or whatever. Oh Which my I god. there's supposed to be a parallel between him and um what was uh Jack Nicholson's character's name again? I'm pretty sure it was Johnny. Johnny was like, yeah yeah here's Johnny, Johnny. Yeah, yeah right yeah so um yeah I, I love that I love the cinematography in this trailer and the pacing and it, it looks a bit off but I like that. I think it works really well. A absolutely I, I totally agree. I don't think it'll be a secret that this film's gonna be dope. Yeah, and you know, it's in that November slot, so I think there's confidence with that, and it might have some Oscar nods. It could, it very well could. Ewan McGregor is a very, very competent actor. He's, He's good. one of the, yeah, one of the... Cinematography, sound design, probably. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know. <clears throat> so, with that, we, we always try to tell the truth. We, we try not to have any secrets, unofficial or official. <laughs> hey! Hey, and that leads us to our next trailer official secrets comes out august the 23rd it's directed by gavin hood and it's starring Kira knightley matthew good ralph fines matt smith and conleth hill the true story of a british whistleblower who leaked information to the press about an illegal nsa spy operation designed to push the u.n security council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of iraq wow this story talk about cerebral if that's a word that comes to mind uh agent mystery thriller that says everything you want if you love the bond movies or not the bond movies the born movies rather you're probably gonna love this or if you love um what was it mind games not mind games the one with uh benedict cumberbatch the imitation imitation games, games. mind games <laughs> which is a mind games. it's a direct to dvd sequel to say, yeah, that's like the like dollar store i know the mind but... games with uh, Jonathan Cumberdutch. <laughs> <laughs> but Imitation Game, if you love movies like that, kind of slow oh, pace. Jonathan Cumberdutch. Come <laughs> oh, on, games for you. I love this mirrorverse of Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh Jonathan God. Cumberdutch. He <laughs> <laughs> will definitely show up in multiple episodes of this podcast. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, yeah, if you love any of those cerebral films that kind of move at a glacial pace. Maybe this might have more of a fast-paced um, feel to it, but from what I can ascertain by watching the trailer, it's going to be kind of that slow, daunting, but very poignant and really cool uh, spy thriller, which is interesting, really interesting story that happened relatively recently, in 2003. Past, past few decades, yeah. Uh, and it's something that I didn't know about, so I look forward to diving deep into this and, and learning more. And I think Kieran Knightley's done a fantastic job 
up. I know a lot of people shit on her, her acting, but I think she's fine. I think she's doing a really good job in this as well. Ian, what do you think? I, I'm I'm definitely excited for this film. This uh this portion of the war in the Middle East or the continuation of the war in the Middle East or the reincitement of the war in the Middle East, however you want to look at this in the geopolitical timeline, is not often covered. I think the only other time that I've seen this particular part of the incitement of the Iraq war in a big budget film was actually in a comedy from Armando Iannucci, uh, In the Loop, which is very funny and it's very good, but they never directly address the actual war itself. The the movie tries not to date itself, but it's it's very obviously about America and the UK's relationship as they head into what has now been probably one of the greatest political blunders of our generation and definitely one of the more formative events, if you will, not to downplay the horror and scope and absolute incompetence and sinister overtones that are all associated with the war in Iraq. This this looks... First of all, important, especially given what's happening right now between a lot of the UN and Iran and and Russia and and the Russia. United yeah, States. it's it, it it. There's so many hawks vying for conflict that where honestly it is not necessary. Oh my God, this, this is good. This is good. First of all, you have an A-list cast. Second of all, it just it looks. The pacing of the trailer, if the movie lives up to the pacing of the trailer, it's going to be taut, it's going to be gripping, it's going to be... I bet a little uncomfortable at times. It it sort of is interesting to me because thematically the film feels similar to the Snowden film we got a few years ago. Did we see a Snowden-esque character too in that? Because one guy with glasses, I know that could be any guy, white guy with glasses. (laughs) There's a lot of white guys with glasses. It's a very quick clip. I was like, I don't know if she, again, I don't don't know this story, the true story that, well, so I don't know, maybe she does. She does get a lot of information. One of the lines that I liked about the trailer too, that she said, they asked her, are you working for the government? Who are you working for? And she's like, I'm not working for the government. I'm working for the people. People mm-hmm. need to know the truth and the government is full of shit. And I'm like, all right, I dig it. I dig it. It's a very poignant, very um, sharp introspection of what's going on today. And they did this completely on purpose. It, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that that's, that is something that I, that really resonates with me is the duty to one's country versus the duty to the people of that country and I think that that's going to be sort of the linchpin in all of this is that Kira Knightley's character she knows where her loyalties lie and sure it's with her country but if her country's doing something wrong then the people have every, every right to know it. We know now nearly two decades out <laughs> that so much of the intel that was received and presented to the global political sphere was either manipulated or just straight out false and so I think that this is going to really force us to re-examine that and hopefully bring something to today's political discussions, especially involving the potential for war. Because we're we're kind of at a at a precipice right now. There everyone's a little a little edgy, a little a little taut. And there's there's a lot of again, there's a lot of concerns. There there seems to be almost a false flag operation in the past week or so involving oil tankers with Ar- Iranian mines that were purportedly found or remnants of mines. And it's all, it's all just super fishy. And so it's, it's very, very, I don't know if the word is cool, but it's very cool that we're getting this movie right now because I think it's a movie that we need at this moment. I, I think so too. It's like having a relationship with your country. is like being married, you know? It's all good and gravy, but when you, if, if it's a bad marriage and you look deep down inside, you're like, maybe I, maybe I want to get a divorce. Maybe that maybe happens after, after the wedding. After the wedding, <laughs> you're not feeling so hot. And you know, that brings us to our next film in such an elegant fashion. We are now talking about After the Wedding, my friends. It comes out August 9th, and it is directed by Bart Fundlich, starring Michelle Williams, Julianne Moore, Billy Crudup, 
and Will Chase. A manager of an orphanage in Kolkata travels to New York to meet a benefactor, and then shit gets weird. Yep, that sounds about right. That's that for you, Beeps. That's that. That's that's how it goes. They go to they go to the benefactor's wedding, her daughter's wedding, and then shit gets weird when this civil servant sees someone she recognizes at the wedding that's dating the benefactor, yeah. Billy Crudup. What happened here? It's a lot of weird tension, a lot of weird things going on. Julianne Moore looks strange, but, but we don't know who's in the wrong at all. It's just, they kind of do a re it's a really good trailer. They tease a lot of tension between certain characters uh, and different points of view, but you know something's off, you know something's not right, you know there is definitely someone with an ulterior motive, but you don't know who it is. You don't even know the main character. I think that's fan. Fantastic. That's, yeah, that's, that's good. That's just good storytelling. Yeah. That's how you tell that story and you, you keep the tension in the drama. It's going to be, it's going to be a very drama laden film. You can already tell. Something that stuck out to me is it's called After the Wedding, but we see pretty much no wedding. <laughs> which is, that's cool. You know, that's, that's fine. fine. It all takes place after the wedding. So right. I guess, you know. That could be any time though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you could have named yeah. it something else. Three years after the wedding. Three years after the wedding. That one month in August, you no, know? Normal life, but something's up. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh -oh. Whoa. <laughs> So I, I'm already gonna come out and say it. I think that Julianne Moore's character, she plays the benefactor. I, I think that she's scheming. I think that she set this whole thing up because uh. they could have just donated the money, but no, she has to meet this young woman running the orphanage. I I, I, I think that something's up. Cause she, she yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She, she's definitely, the, I think, the easy one. Uh, this movie, okay, it looks like it could either go one of two ways. It could be really boring, dull, and dumb, or it could be fantastic, sharp, and witty. It's just like, there's no in-between. I feel like it Not could with this be, story, no. yeah, underwhelming or overwhelming. I don't, I, I don't know. All right, this is a complete melodrama. So, something that stuck out to me, uh, and any, any of our listeners that follow me on Twitter might have seen my brief stint of trying to watch the, I believe it's Renee Zellweger-driven Netflix show called what if this this feels like there were two friends and one friend was like hey i'm writing this show about a rich person that toys with people's love lives and everyone is toxically monogamous so that they can't like take the fact that their partner might even just be looking at another person and then that friend of that screenwriter was like hey that's a that's a that's a fun idea that's that's a a trope that i want to keep perpetuating too so i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make a film if you're gonna make a, a tv show and <laughs> that's what it feels like is like two yeah. scre screenwriters maybe if it, maybe it's even the same writer i don't think it is i'm gonna look it up and i don't think it will be but they both had the same idea and then one did short form and one did long form and here we are with after the wedding i you know i yeah it spoiler alert i do not like what if yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> what a remarkably yeah. tedious show. You still didn't. You still didn't like it after a while. I'm three episodes in, so and maybe I just like need it. to truck through. But yeah, the fact of the matter is that all of these people just like this woman has a life. We're getting a little off topic, but I'm just I'm going to try okay, to keep go, it brief. Go I'm going to try to keep this brief. This little tangent brief. This woman has the potential to save fucking lives, and all that this trillionaire wants to do is spend a night with her husband and both her and her husband just like can't fucking take it like it's it's not a big deal you don't even know if they had sex like you go you go and get the money to save the lives to complete your life's work and you like i just fuck god damn so, yeah and then that that's probably why you had a guttural reaction to you after the wedding it was just like this Smells and seems familiar. Uh, yeah, it feels if it very, walks like a very duck, similar. Talks like a duck. It's probably a duck, right? Yeah. But it does have a good cast. I mean, Michelle Williams and Julianne Moore. This is definitely a vehicle that producers and writers were like, "Look, we, you guys are in the contract. We, we need you to be in this movie. Yeah, and no, we're gonna try to get you guys cast. an Oscar. <laughs> That's practically so. Just act. But they're like, but the script is just man. Like, don't, don't worry about it. It's your movie. I mean, we'll, we'll see. Because again, art is hard. So I, I don't like to disparage. I would right. love to be proven wrong. But at this point, I'm not crazy about it. I'm interested. 
interested to see what comes of after the wedding, yeah. what we get. I, I have no doubt that everyone will be acting their faces off and they will be bringing their best. The the weight of it all will now be on the story. Will the story hold water, you know? Could you see this be potentially being more of a made-for-TV movie? Like, maybe even a Netflix movie? This what it well, feels I, like it should be a Netflix movie. Again, like, Which it is- feels like the series What If? Just based on the trailer, it feels very similar, I think, just based off of what I the hints that I'm picking up, that there is some rich benefactor that plays games with love and people's affections and that's sort of why we end up in this jumbled mess you know well somebody should learn some self-defense because some shit's about to go down maybe the art of self-defense would be great to one of these women and our one man in that movie yeah which leads us to our next trailer and movie the art of self-defense and it comes out July the 12th. It's directed by Riley Stearns, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Alessandro Nivola, Imogene Poots, and Steve Tirado. A man is attacked by a random on the street. He enlists at a local dojo led by a charismatic, mysterious sensei in an effort to learn how to defend himself. Boy, this looks like a self-reflection on toxic masculinity, and I love it. Yeah, I have that in my notes. <laughs> it's definitely lampooning toxic masculinity and all of those icky, icky ideologies that lead to being a quote-unquote man. In a very somewhat relatable way, and it's very mm-hmm. humorous, which can greatly dupe a lot of people into watching this and learning something about themselves, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. That's, that's, why, that's why humor is such a great educational tool, is because it, it does... It does disarm folks into actually listening. It's better than right. being beat over the head with everything. Right. I, th- I think what's interesting is that we might even see just how easy it is to radicalize young, vulnerable men who feel disenfranchised. And I think that we're going to see that from what looks like a very nuanced performance from Jesse Eisenberg. He's a very talented young actor and I wholly trust him to just based on this trailer give us a very honest performance very vulnerable performance uh, and I really dig Alessandro's Nivola's performance as the sensei he's so charismatic he's really charismatic he's terrifying but at the same time very funny because again I think that's what this film is going to do well it's going to show us just how easy it is to sell someone who might be perceived as weak or feel lower on the social hierarchy of things just how easy it is to sell them on gross toxic ideas right his performance is so subtle at least in this trailer because it could be terrible but from what i'm seeing in the trailer i think it's good hopefully it's good he reminds me of a lot of people that i may have known in my life who have that toxic personality and is unaware of it i unerotically <laughs> unaware of anything that's happening well and i think that's yeah. what's so compelling about toxic yeah stories about toxic people is they don't realize just how toxic exactly. they are and that's what makes a really good story to just of us watching it and seeing oh yeah this could be easy to slipping like you mentioned yeah i i I fucking dig this it it's done really well on rotten tomatoes it hasn't come out wide release it hasn't had a wide release yet but it did go to a few festivals and it did really well and people are raving about it so that's a good sign it's not like a 68 which is still a fresh good it's like upper 80s 90s realm so i'm I'm, pretty solid it's a pretty solid film right there Definitely want to shine some light on it. Comes out next month, so please go and see it. Support independent filmmakers, and if you have to support one, this seems like a good one to support. It seems really good, and hopefully, it's playing in an area near you because you sometimes with those movies, like they can be playing in like three states. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wide release. Yeah, we're yeah. going to be in Iowa. Yeah. We're going to be in Utah, yeah. and we're going to be in a part of South Dakota. It's like, oh, you just gotta you know drive there. You know, road trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the art of self defense, y'all. And I I think that's going to wrap up our tasty trailer segments, and we're going to move on to Flix News. That's right, baby. This just in. Extra, extra, read all about it. Flix News. 
All right, we're into Flix News, boys and girls. Ben, what's yes. first on the docket in Flix News? All right, well, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman set for August Wilson's adaptation of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. Now, in case you like, what's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Why do I care? Most likely you're not black, but <laughs> are in theater <laughs> or in theater. And I'm going to tell you a little bit what it's about. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom takes place in 1927 and fictionalizes the real-life singer Ma Rainey, known as the mother of blues, whose career spanned from 1899 to 1933. The play takes place over the course of one day in a Chicago recording studio in which Ma Rainey and her band are laying tracks for a new album. Boy, let me tell you, this is some good news. This is really good news. Very exciting. Uh, on the, the week of Juneteenth, with uh, all this lovely black excellence taking place, you got Viola Davis. You got Chadwick Boseman. I don't know what characters they're play. I imagine Viola Davis is going to play Ma Rainey. But I don't know what she's going to do. I would she, hope yeah, right. so. Right. Oh, I she's like, <laughs> yeah, she's just, she's not Ma Rainey. It's a made up character that they made. But uh, yeah, August Wilson, his stuff is really profound. If you haven't read any of it, please do yourself a favor. Go out to the library. Try to find something. For our friends that haven't been involved in theater or may not know about this very, very important part of theater history, mm -hmm. Ben, give us just a little brief bit about August Wilson. And who is this person and why was he so important? August Wilson's one of the most prolific black playwrights of our generation. He also emphatically said that he would only prefer black people to perform his stuff because he knew there wasn't a lot of representation to begin with. He wrote a course of several plays that takes place in uh, different decades and they're all fantastic. My favorite being King Headley. Um, a lot of people know Fences, but that's what Denzel Washington um, was nominated for. Whom, by the way, I believe will be, producing. if not producing, exactly producing this right. uh, this Netflix film adaptation along with Costanza Romero, August Wilson's widow. Wow, look at that. Uh, August Wilson has written some strong, beautiful characters, maybe not so much women, and that is a problem that he a lot of people have with his work. However, it is still profound and it still needs to be read. Please read it. It's fantastic. Um, again, what's more, it's like, sorry, what's more, it's also some of the only theater to come out of the 80s and 90s that chronicles the African-American experience. Oh. Oh, in America yep. and does it so unabashed and so it's black as hell like it takes yep. if you're not used to a lot of the language that is used and how the dialects are used and how the rhythm the rhythmic pattern of the dialogue is presented it may take you a good 30 minutes to get on board with what they're saying and how they're saying it. If you're not familiar with the slang, the colloquialisms that they use, and also just, just the beats and the rhythm. It's a lot of beats and rhythms, a lot of monologues. It's very long pieces of work, but they're brilliant. And once you your ears tune up to what August is saying, you just can't look away. And Ma Rainey is just one of those really cool pieces that I think translate probably the best to film. And I can't wait. Viola Davis is trying to get an Oscar. And then Netflix, are, they're Oscar hungry right now. They're Academy hungry. They, they're they yeah, coming they out the gate. They like, fuck you, motherfucker, like Steven Spielberg telling us we can't do stuff. We got <laughs> Viola Davis. Now, it's very interesting, though, because I, I, I thought that HBO had ties with the August Wilson cycle and that Denzel was going to do the whole cycle on HBO. Now, maybe something fell through. I don't know the inner workings, but Netflix, this is a coup. And I don't even know if Netflix realizes how big a deal this is. I think this is Viola Davis and Denzel Washington pushing for someone to green line it because I don't think white execs were like, what's, what's August Wilson? Like, trust us. <laughs> Let us make you money and... <laughs> teach these folks about black culture in a beautiful and, and loving way. And I can't wait. And anything else you want to say about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and the, the actors attached? I, I want to know who the director is. I, I really want Ryan Coogler to the direct. The director is uh, George C. Wolf. George C. Wolf. They, I, I think he's pretty good. I, I'm he's, he's actually got, with George. He doesn't have a lot of film credits under his directing belt, but he is apparently a very prolific stage director, which I think is exciting. I think that's perfect that he is taking such an important piece of theater and then going to translate it to screen, which is, that's probably the best way to do it, is to find someone who is familiar with stage work and then have them work within the confines of film. He's won a Tony for some of his work, which is fantastic uh, to know. So yeah, th this this film is in good hands. It's in good hands. It's in good hands. There's not a lot to worry about. You have the two A-listers right up front. 
I'm just, I'm excited. I'm ready. I have not, I don't know Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I know a good chunk of August Wilson's Century Cycle, but this is, this is one of the stories that I don't know. And you tell me that it's about a jazz blues singer in 1920s Chicago, and it's set in the recording studio with all of her musicians and stuff. Uh, yes, please. You know who would do a really good adaptation of his work? Direct, uh, Jim of the Ocean should be directed by Ava DuVernay. Oh, <laughs> should it yeah. ever? She, yes. Yeah, she has that fantasy touch to it. Like, it, oh. oh, Jim of the Ocean is probably one of my favorites, too. So yes. good. Our listeners that aren't familiar with Jim of the Ocean, I, I don't know what to tell Look you. Look it it's, up. It's, yeah, it's hard to Read sum it. up in like a three-minute chunk. Yeah, it's just... It's brilliant. Gem of the Ocean by August Wilson. Check it out. It's worth your time. And I guarantee you, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to be a powerhouse, a huge get for Netflix. You know, Gem of the Ocean was the first theater experience for me that I, like, bawled. I, like, cried. I, yes! It was so moving. I was like, I, this is why I do what I do. I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, okay, on to the next bit of news. Ian, you want to go ahead and take it from here? Sure, absolutely, yeah. We've got a new announcement from Disney and Pixar. They have announced Pixar's next feature film, which will be called Soul. It's from the director of Inside Out, Peter Doctor, and you might know his work from the film that I just said, Inside Out. (laughs) Woo! But here's the thing. There's not a lot of details that are known about this new project, Soul. There's just this sort of mysterious tagline that says that Soul, which will release on June 19th of 2020, will take you on a journey from the streets of New York City to the cosmic realms to discover the answers to life's most important questions. It's a pretty dang broad tagline. There's a lot of ground to cover for a kid's movie, I gotta tell you. Yeah, it. I mean, so was Inside Out, to be honest, and it, it was handled really well. There you go, it yeah. It was. Um, yeah. Soul seems to be in good hands. Of course, what I am worried about is if it's a carbon copy of inside out well will it take place in the same world too will they have connectivity it looks like he's trying to make trying to make way for the shared connected pixar world which i could be wrong about but it kind of sounds like that it'd be the first of its kind so i mean maybe they see some market ability in this so i don't know we i think this is one of those topics where we just have to see more of certainly more about i i i it's gonna get kind of celestial just based off of what yeah what has been announced what we've been reading i i think that your concern that it might be a little too inside out ish is valid but I, I think that it's going to be more so focused on the soul <laughs> I, I was really trying to find a way to phrase that better but it's gonna focus less on the neuroses that like compile a human's identity and mental subconscious yeah yeah yeah. less about the subconscious and more about like the essence of life it it, there's there's a second little snippet that says ever wonder where your passion your dreams and your interests come from your consciousness yeah exactly it's that I don't know why that was like a door the explore moment (laughs) your consciousness (laughs) i i I, I'm excited to see just what this film shapes up to be. I hope, my hope is that it gets sort of esoteric and weird and that it sort of asks spiritual questions. Sounds like it's going to be a tearjerker, like apparently Toy Story 4, which apparently is amazing. And we were wrong. I was wrong. I didn't think we needed one, but apparently we do. And it's apparently flat out amazing. So moving on, let's uh, let's go to our next bit of Flicks news. Oscar nominee Rachel Morrison is set to make directorial debut on Flint Strong for Universal. And this is written by Barry Jenkins, who we know is an acclaimed director, and it's based off of the 2015 boxing documentary T-Rex. Now, in case you don't know what that's about, T-Rex, the documentary was a story about the 17-year-old Clarissa T-Rex Shields. Now, she's from Flint, Michigan, and she had a dream of becoming the first woman to win an Olympic gold medal in boxing, which she achieved in 2012, Summer Olympics. And she also achieved it in the 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Universal acquired her life rights and rights to the documentary in 2016. Now, in case you guys aren't familiar with Morris's work, she made history last year being the first woman ever nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematographer in her work Mudbound, and she was also the first woman to shoot 
a Marvel Cinematic Universe film with Black Panther. So this is a big fucking deal. We need to make sure we see it. It's a woman director who's already made history in the Academy Awards. We have a man of color who is writing it and adapting the documentary. Let's give this a chance. I think it sounds great. It's a story that I would love to hear, learn more about. Uh, this woman's awesome. She she boxed her way to a gold medal and she said she's gonna fucking do it. And she's from Flint, Michigan. This is a great positive story from Flint, Michigan. And hopefully they they might touch on the water crisis as well, which they probably will. Uh, I feel like it. if you're doing a film about a Flint resident, in today's this year this year that is this one you can't not you know right and you got an, an academy nominated cinematographer who is now directing i mean cinematographers can direct directors i feel like more cinematographers can direct directors probably can't always switch to cinematography certainly yeah. but you already see the pictures in your head you know what you're looking for you can just have to adapt to your talking to actors which i'm sure can happen and will happen and i think this is an a plus plus what do you think Ian? Uh, i'm super stoked to see it barry jenkins is a phenomenal storyteller he did moonlight and if beale street could talk for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with the name up front so you know that if he's adapting this story it's going to be rich there's going to be a very very compelling human aspect to all of this and I'm excited. I had not heard of Clarissa T-Rex Shields, so I'm excited to learn her story. I had not heard of the documentary, which I will have to go seek out now. So hopefully that's somewhere and I can we can bring that info to you in the coming days. Rachel Morrison getting her directorial debut. That's there's there's just so much hype in this one little snippet of news. This is going to be I think this is going to be a big one. We we just talked about Oscar contenders. I think we got another one on our hands. Fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! Like a bomb going off. Tick tick boom. What's our next Flix news? Oh no, baby, that takes us to the final piece of Netflix news. Netflix news. This is general news, but this is about Netflix. Netflix acquiring the Lin Manuel Miranda adapted version of the stage piece. Tick, Tick, Boom. For those of you who aren't familiar, Tick, Tick, Boom was originally a one-man show from Jonathan Larson. He is the composer, and he composed the music and the book to the now, like, worldwide phenomenon that is Rent. So I know all y'all have heard his shit before, even if you think you haven't. You've heard the 25,600 minutes. 525,600 you know 25, minutes. I knew 25,000 minutes was a low number. I was like, 25,000 ain't right, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> the story is essentially, it was performed as a one-man show way, way back when, and it just boomed in popularity, if you'll pardon the pun, in the wake of Jonathan Larson's passing. Essentially, the premise is that he's turning 30 and he is feeling unfulfilled as an artist. He's living in New York city and he's struggling he's still serving and waiting tables and he's not sure whether or not he'll ever write something good as he struggles to finish a piece that he's trying to workshop that's this weird sci-fi punk post-apocalypse 1984-esque musical that he's writing and it's all about his trials and tribulations and the relationship with his partner and his best friend who is a queer gentleman that do i spoil this 20-something, 30-something-year-old story for you? I dare I do. I yeah, think I, I do. Yeah. His best friend, it is revealed at the one of the emotional climaxes of the film, has been diagnosed as HIV positive. And so that's where a further existential crisis sets in for John. And essentially the story is about him coping for it, or coping with it, rather. It's... A good story, there's some great music, and I don't think that you could have found a better person to adapt it than Lin-Manuel Miranda. Do you think there'll be any hip-hop? Do you think he'll adapt it? He probably won't. I, I imagine he's peaceful to source material and things. I, I doubt he'll switch it up. And also, I'm pretty sure that needs a lot of approval from, like, I, I guess not the original because he has passed away. Larson has passed away, but I imagine his family and friends would be like, no, do not touch this. We love Hamilton, but don't. But I don't know. Hamilton's so great, and so is into that in, in the Heights, maybe. So we may see a little bit of that uh, Miranda flair, but something tells me just... Given Miranda's life and the premise of Tick, Tick, Boom, this is probably work that is very dear to his heart. Probably something that got him through a hurdle or a trying time, specifically because it is about an artist 
not knowing if they're good enough and not knowing if they should continue and possibly finding that little spark that does allow them to persevere in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds. Yeah, this is awesome. He, he, he's made a name for himself in Hollywood and now he can do whatever he wants. I, I mm -hmm. want to do that because I really want a Jekyll and Hyde live adaptation film. To oh, that'd be great. Musical. And also redo the uh, Sweeney Todd musical. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I, as much as I like Depp's performance, it's just not Sweeney Todd. But that is neither here nor there. Tick, tick, boom looks to be amazing and I can't wait. I envy Lynn Muel Miranda's Miranda rights. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I envy his uh, his career because he's also doing In the Heights, which is awesome. And he's just a busy, busy man. Good for him. I, I wish him all the best. And that, that, that'll take us into first issue. I hope you don't got an issue with that. Mm -mm. It's a bird. It's a plane. Oh, no, no, no. It's just first issue. All right. So our first topic and first issue is... It's, okay, first of all, let me start off by saying first issue is going to be heavy Kevin Feige. Um, it's just all like, Marvel. This week all was Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, it's all Marvel. All Marvel. It was a marvelous week. There, yeah. Haha. <laughs> -ha. I mean, there is some DC news, but it's more television and more hesitant stuff about the film stuff. So I'm going to keep it Marvel, keep it light, keep it quick. So Kevin Feige explains how X-Men and Fantastic Four are being brought into the MCU. Now, Kevin Feige goes on to explain that what we already know that it's going to be a while, but he emphatically says that the stories just have to make sense. Um, he said that Black Panther and Spider-Man being introduced the way that they were introduced made sense, and also characters with the standalone films first, like Doctor Strange, Iron Man, that made sense for the story, the, the connectivity, everything, just the cohesion and everything sticking together. So we may not see the X-Men and Fantastic Four for a while, but it's mostly because Phase 4 was planned far in advanced. They know exactly where they need to go, but they have said they have been working on what ifs, like X-Men, what what if the X-Men were a part of this universe? What if Fantastic Four were part of this universe? Sounds like to me they knew that this they were gonna acquire Fox before they acquired Fox. Well, I was about to say that while they tend to map out their projected trajectories, it seems like there's still a lot of play behind the scenes when they're pitching ideas to one another because just based off of like this brief little interview that Feige gave in in relation to X-Men and Fantastic Four in the MCU, he talked a lot about how, and he's said this in the past too, I think, I think a lot of us tend to idolize him and think that he has this sort of savant-esque ability to just like construct and map out an entire 11 year arc when really in interviews he said he kind of leaves it up to the individual filmmakers and then sort of guides them from there like they bring him a story that he think is thinks is worthy of one of the characters and he wants those individual voices that's why Iron Man was directed by so many different directors the his his three standalones so I think I think that it, we may not see them for a while but we may see them sooner than we anticipated just because they're constantly asking as you said that that magical what if they're they're trying to keep things fresh and fun and even though phase four probably has its trajectory overall like they have an end goal for it I i'm willing to bet that they are still in writers rooms scratching their heads and being like wouldn't it be cool though yeah and so we'll see we may see something sooner than we expect yeah because when they acquired partial rights to spider-man apparently they were in a meeting and kevin feige busted in the door and just gave the flick of the wrist of the spider thing signaling to them like it's a it's a okay it's a go for spider-man in this so like they, you cannot tell me they known or had some inkling that they would probably attain their rights to these characters again that they have not been in a room being like, well, what if? I'm sure at some point Kevin Feige probably bust in the meeting and just like made the X symbol. <laughs> yep. like, and like, you already know what to do. I'm not saying anything further. And he like, just we walked got in with like forks taped to his knuckles and was like, do it! <laughs> I hope he's that sporadic and chaotic. <laughs> do it! It's just like a fucking crazy teenager. I know. We got it! Do it! He's just playing with like action figures and he's like, <laughs> 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 no, 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 Kevin, Kevin, we need you on set, huh? <laughs> just 
just like chucks a little piece of metal at someone and like holds his hand out. It's Magneto, get it? Get it? Do it. Okay, we'll, we'll do it, Kev. No, but uh, yeah, so that's on that. That's all we can pretty much milk out of that one. Let's go to our next topic. Ian, what is our next topic? Believe it or not, our next topic is about Kevin Feige. Who? Uh, Kevin Feige. What? Mr. Feige. Oh, okay. That <laughs> fucking Feige. <laughs> He went, he actually, this, this was a moment of, I think, vulnerability for him to, to put this so much on blast. They have been trying to acquire Keanu Reeves for some time now to recruit him <laughs> into the MCU, which I think is hilarious that they just keep sending Keanu scripts and he's like, yeah, I don't know, I think I'm going to go do John Wick. And, like, <laughs> I, and I, I think it's so amazing that Kevin Feige obviously has some sort of love for Keanu Reeves because he's just like, he's like, I've been trying. I want Keanu, but he hasn't come. How do I get Keanu? And so I think this is A, a little bit vulnerable, but B, kind of manipulative because now right. he's he's officially put the ball into Keanu Reeves's court yeah. in the court of public opinion being like, we're trying to get you, Keanu, and now everyone's going to know that we want you in the MCU, so why ain't you here? Yeah, everyone's going to ask him that every time. He's like, oh, all right, whoa, whoa, I'll be in it. All right, fine. Fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is this is funny as fuck to me. Maybe what they should just do is acquire the rights to John Wick and make him part of the MCU. <laughs> you just, just write a comic from Marvel writers. Write a John Wick comic, please. That way he can be officially an MC, a Marvel comic book character. I, I I would love it. I would love Why it. Why not? Why not? You know, he can like... He, he can, can talk to dogs with his mind. Right, yeah. He could toy around with uh, Blade, too. That would be fucking awesome. Blade that and John Wick. That would be sick, Cross. yeah. This is never going to happen. No, no. <laughs> but we can dream, we damn can it. We can dream. What if, Ben? What if? Oh, man. You think he was probably trying to acquire him for Doctor Strange? Uh, that that could be, yeah. yeah. I, I So if who would he be in Doctor Strange, Doctor though? Strange. Oh, you think initially? Yeah. yeah, no. Wow. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's obviously an upgrade with Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, I love Keanu. I, I, I love what he's doing. I love that he's having this resurgence. But let's be honest, he's not the greatest actor. I And I don't I don't think he aspires to, to be, be, though. No, I think just he just action. wants to be himself. So maybe a character in the MCU that just doesn't talk too much and just has one-liners and just is a badass action. I mean, he, I bet we'll that, see him in X-Men. Wolverine. Ooh, he could be Wolverine. He could be Wolverine. He'd be a quiet, like, or he could be Gambit. Is Gambit usually quieter? Yeah. Gambit okay. doesn't really say. He has a... He, but he has a Krill accent, though, so I don't know if... Oh. I don't know if... Unless you just change it up to where Keanu is just Keanu. <laughs> but he's Gambit. Just Gambit right, Keanu. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. They're, they're getting a little, like, puppeteerish with everything because they, they re-released... Like, I don't know if they re-released, but they released a Fantastic Four comic where Mr. Fantastic looks exactly like john krasinski like they oh are, they know what they're doing yeah they are they are pressuring people now like they they're I'm here for that bro i mean uh, it that would be pretty cool around a while. it would be pretty cool i and apparently emily blunt for um the invisible girl or uh, um susan storm of course but yeah emily blunt perhaps susan storm who can turn invisible and have force fields and things of that nature which would be amazing because they make a great team, obviously, in life and on screen. Yeah, I mean, so I wonder if that would actually happen just because people love their significant others and that you can tell that Krasinski and Blunt love one another, but do they want to keep working together consistently on something that big? Because you would spend, they would spend the better part of a decade yeah, together you're every, in. every yeah. almost every day. A blessing and a curse. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it'd be fun, but like, I don't want... I don't want their relationship to suffer. So it'd be That's cool horrible. to see them there, but they got to do what's right for them. Yeah, uh, they're just taking cues from when the Marvel comics decided to recreate Nick Fury and create him like Samuel Jackson, thus propelling Samuel Jackson to take the role. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, yeah, that brings us to our next news. Guess who? Who's the the man of the hour in this bit of news, Ian? Who? Tell me, Mr. Feige himself. Oh, there we, there yep. we go. All right.
Right. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, he's everywhere. Uh, Kevin Feige thinks Spider-Man and Venom movie is likely, but it's up to Sony. So this is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, this right. Yeah. It's Kevin Feige. It, if Kevin Feige is that d- definite about definitive about something happening, it's going to happen. He's he's not even it's not even a hint. He's like, yeah, it's likely to happen. <laughs> He's like, yeah, most definitely. Read as, this will happen, this, I will make it happen, this, and it shall be done. My word is law. It shall be done. He practically, <laughs> his petty ass, threw some shade on Sony. I need Sony to get it together. Practically. <laughs> yeah, it'll happen. If Sony got their shit together. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, to be fair, when they were doing publicity for the Venom movie, the person, I forget who, their name, but the exec at Sony was doing an interview side by side with Kevin Feige about Venom and <laughs> literally just said, yeah, yeah, Venom's totally part of the MCU. And you see Feige do that sort of <laughs> that blink gif reaction where he's like, wait, like, what? Wait, wait, and they like everyone turns to Feige. He's like, I mean, yeah, kind of, I guess. Yeah, he's a Spider-Man guy. Yeah, yeah okay. No. So this... This is this is not like new, but the fact that he is finally like totally gung ho about it is that's that's cool. I'm excited. Venom's probably one of Spider-Man's more compelling villains. They cut the camera and he's like, "What the fuck? I told you, ass about that. <laughs> fuck wrong with you, huh? <laughs> I ruined your whole career." <laughs> I just hope he's as cutthroat loud, son of a bitch. Hey, it's it's K-Fog and his bitch. What's up? K-Fog. K-Fog and his bitch. Oh, shit, it's Kevin. Everyone hide. (laughs) Kung Fu Feige coming through. Feige and his motherfucker. (laughs) He's aggressive as hell. He's like, why are you so aggressive? I love comics, nigga. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But yeah, uh, Venom has a lot of work to do. In the hands of the MCU, they might could write the ship, although it made like a shit ton of money. So there's something to be said about that. People kept coming to see the fucking movie, but the movie itself was much left to be desired. But in the hands of the MCU, it could work. It certainly could. I think I think after all is said and done, the question will be, will Tom Hardy return as Venom? You know? He's making that loot. He's making the loot, but at the same time, he's also, he seems like one of the more particular artists of our generation. Right after Star Trek Nemesis, he was like, yo. <laughs> and after he was on crack while he was performing Star Trek Nemesis, <laughs> he was like, yeah, I gotta be, I gotta be, uh. You gotta be a little more choosy. choosy. <laughs> yeah, crack is whack. It's <laughs> like. Oh no, he's really good at Star Trek. Have you seen Star Trek Nemesis? Yeah, yeah, no, he's yeah, great. Yeah, he's great in that. The movie itself is okay, but he's a good young Patrick Stewart. Anyway, that about wraps up first issue. We're gonna go into Netflix now, y'all. Hmm? Boom boom. Netflix now. All right, friends, we are here at Netflix now. It is the time, the time of the seasons for the podcast when I tell you the things that are worth watching on the Netflix thing. <sighs> I needed to get that little bit of levity there, that little bit of silliness, because what I watched this week, first of all, you got to commend Ava DuVernay because she is a masterful storyteller and her show, When They See Us, which is what we're covering today, has been the most watched show on Netflix for about a month now. So if you haven't seen it yet, I don't know what you're doing. If you haven't seen it yet, I will forgive you because it is an extremely triggering and grueling piece of art, but also probably one of the most important pieces of art across any streaming platform today. For those of you who may not have heard of it, When They See Us is about the Central Park Five, which was a group of young African-American and Latinx uh, boys who were targeted by police in connection to one particular night where a woman was sexually assaulted and badly beaten and left in Central Park. And these boys who had no connection to her whatsoever or the heinous act in question were coerced and were in no, in not one singular instance, beaten and traumatized and had their lives ruined over something that they did not do, all because of some extremely frustrating prosecutors and district attorneys who just wanted, they they were out for blood and they chose these five particular boys to be the lambs the sacrificial lambs, if you will. I don't want to talk too much about the story because it's all there on public record. There's a lot 
and it, there's a lot to unpack and it's very, very triggering. That being said, I think, or rather I am comfortable going on record and saying that it is every American's civic duty to watch this show, particularly if you are a person of privilege or a person who is white, because it just shows the harrowing experience that people of color go through when they are subjected to our criminal system and its lack of accountability. Oh man, the, the performances in this, first of all, Everyone does phenomenal. The young, the young actors, the middle-aged actors, everybody. It's just remarkable. Some standouts, though, were without a doubt Jarell Jerome, who plays Corey Wise, who has the most tragic story. Episode four focuses mainly on his experience. And when I, when I tell you a Netflix show hasn't, and any property on Netflix has not made me cry as much as this show did, shout out to Jarell Jerome because he was phenomenal. And also shout out to the woman who played his mother, Nisi Nash. Her, her performance... Jesus, holy, I, words are going to fail me here, which sucks because this is a podcast and that's mainly what we rely upon when we are speaking to you, our audience. Michael Kenneth Williams does a phenomenal job. His his story was particularly hard for me to watch because him and his son and the the schism, the, the uh, if there's one harrowing scene in particular where his son Antron is in an interrogation room and Michael K. Williams plays Bobby, his father, who is an ex-con that's just trying to do right by his family and so he comes to try to be part of he tries to come to his son's aid and the police you see in particular in episode one just how manipulative detectives and police can be in interrogations we've already this has become common knowledge now thanks to podcasts like serial or the work that was done on making a murderer this is common knowledge now but never has it been done or dramatized so well as in the moment where bobby the father of Antron is confronted by the police and they essentially threaten his livelihood. They're like, you got good benefits. You got good pay at this job. Does your employer know that you're an ex-con? Because I bet they wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole if they did. And so Bobby essentially, without spoiling too much, gets his son to go against his own best interest. It's Jesus, there's so much to unpack here, and I am far from the best equipped to unpack it for you. This is why you should go watch it, go support it. This is probably one of the single most important pieces of art that you could consume in this month, especially this month in particular. 10 out of 10 on this, folks. I, I don't often like to give perfect scores, but 10 out of 10, you will laugh. You'll do a lot of crying. You're gonna do more crying than laughing. I'm gonna promise you that. Maybe, I don't know if you ever can be in a, a well enough place to sit down and consume this because it is so harrowing and it is so tragic and it's true. The only good things that not the only good things, but some of the good things that have come from this, the the prosecutor and the district attorney who pursued these boys so viciously have been held accountable in the wake of DuVernay's fantastic powerhouse of a show. Fairstein, who I believe was the district attorney, has lost her book deals and been dropped by her publisher. And there there is a fantastic scene where her character is confronted by a new... They're not not necessarily new, but a district attorney is reassigned to the case to reopen it all those years later, and she is confronted with the fact that she's just been profiting off of her stardom that came from that trial. And what's more, the prosecutor, Letterer, I don't remember her first name at the moment, but Letterer was a speaker at Columbia University up until just about a month ago when she stepped down as an adjunct professor and lecturer. So Ava DuVernay's work is not only garnering results, but it's important for everyone to watch just because because, well, I would think the reasons are obvious, but if you have trouble empathizing with people speaking out about how black lives matter, how people of color are constantly the victims of miscarriages of justice, then you need to watch this. This is this work is for you, but it's also for all of those folks that live this reality because uh, I am just, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it again. I, I'm going to end this segment as it is because there's, again, I'm not the most qualified to unpack this. This is something you need to watch for yourself. Do it now. You can stop listening to this podcast. I won't fault you if you are so compelled to go watch this right now. Normally we would compel you to listen to the end, but do it now. Find out, block out the four and a half hours that you need to sit down and watch the four episodes of When They See Us and be enlightened, be moved,
moved and get involved. There you have it, folks. Netflix now. That was powerful. And, and please take his word for it. Watch it. It is important, important, important. All right. We're going to go on to some trivia. Do you want to know something that we don't know? Sure. Here comes the trivia. Here we go. Okay. Okay. All right, BBs, we're here with some movie facts and trivia for you. We're going to quiz one another, and hopefully all together we'll learn something about films along the way. Ben, you ready? I'm ready. All right, you want to kick us off? Sure. What is the name of Will Smith's character in Independence Day? Captain Stephen Hiller, Lieutenant John Guild, Sergeant Frank Nova, or Private Jim Banks? Oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn. Um, God, I don't feel like he's a captain or a lieutenant in that film, but Jim Banks sounds so dumb and white. <laughs> uh, give, give them to me one more time. The names are the, the question. The names, right? The names, yeah. Captain Stephen Hiller, Lieutenant John Guild. Sergeant. It's gotta be Stephen Hiller. That just sounds right. I'm that, gonna go with that's that. That's right. It is? It is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Damn, yeah. I don't know why I thought he was like lower than a uh, captain. Because okay. he doesn't act like he's a captain. That's true. He acts Very goofy reckless. as hell, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ben, I got one for you. In the classic picture, moving picture, The Wizard of Oz, oh, no. what did they use to make snow on camera? Was it baking powder? Was it flour? Was it the director's cocaine? Or was it asbestos? Asbestos? It was asbestos, okay. yeah. Okay, <laughs> director's cocaine is a lot of cocaine. There's a lot of cocaine up in there. Jesus Christ, I almost went with that one because it's so absurd. I was like, it's gotta be. All right, you ready for my next question? Yeah, hit me with that knowledge. What year was the song My Heart Will Go On from Titanic released? 1998, 1999, 1997, 2000. Okay, this feels like a trick question. <laughs> it just feels tricky. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 2000 because it was in the film, but what year was the song released? Wait, what year was Titanic? Fuck. Was it 99? It was 99, right? I don't know. Oh, you rude. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with 2000. It feels wrong, but it feels right. 1997. Fuck! <laughs> it's okay. God damn it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Water. Shake it off. Shake yeah. it off. Shake it off. Okay. In the Silence of the Lambs, okay. Anthony Hopkins is a fantastic Hannibal Lecter. Who? almost had the role before him. Okay. Was it Gene Hackman? Was it Harrison Ford? Was it Richard Gere? Or was it Mel Gibson? That Mel Gibson just threw me for a loop. Because <laughs> he's he fantastic, crazy, fucking anti-Semitic son of a bitch. <laughs> Um, give me the options again. Sure. Was it Gene Hackman, Harrison Ford, Richard Gere, or Mel Gibson? Harrison Ford. It was Gene Hackman. I knew it was Gene fucking Hackman. He decided, I knew it. he almost directed and starred, but then he decided that the role was too dark. He's like, it's too dark for me. Oh, he's such a fucking asshole. <laughs> uh, yeah, I knew it was Gene Hackman. I knew it, but Harrison Ford would have been funny. So, Harrison Ford. He would have, but that's kind of why I threw him in there. Right. I thought he would be a funny Hannibal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so. You ready for your last question? Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Redemption. Which actor voiced Moses in The Prince of Egypt? Kevin Kline, Ewan McGregor, Michael Keaton, or Val Kilmer? Oh, fuck. You threw me with that Val Kilmer. You done threw me. Who was the first choice again? Kevin Kline. I th I think it's Kevin Kline. I have not, I, at full disclosure, I have no clue, but I'm going with Kevin Kline. It was actually Val Kilmer. It was Val Kilmer? Yeah. Fuck. And I knew, like, something just felt, <laughs> like, there's no way that you just, like, come up with Val Kilmer. Like, yeah. he has to actually be there. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Klein was in Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is probably what confused you. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. This is, this is a fun one. This okay. is a fun one. In Tim Burton's 1989 film, Batman, we know that Michael Keaton stars. Who was also considered for the role? Of Batman? Of Batman and Tim Burton's Batman. That's was it question. Clint Eastwood? Was it John Travolta? Was it Bill Murray? Or was it Tom Cruise? So we gotta think like Tim Burton here. You gotta think a little who's bit not, like Burton. Who's not conventional. So you said Tom Cruise? I said no. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which probably is Tom Cruise. Uh, you said Bill Murray. I'm actually, I'm gonna, that's not my guess, but I will put them in contention because it would be hilarious. Okay. And and that sounds like something Tim Burton might do. It does a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> fucking why not? Um, but but uh, Gibson, who, who'd you say? What about John, Travol a... John Travolta? Yeah, that's that. He looks like the Batman. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with my gut, John Travolta. 
It was Bill Murray. I knew it was Bill Murray. I'm so sorry, BB. Bill Murray I was, was Bill uh, Murray. briefly considered by Tim Burton I to play Batman in the I 1989 film. I should film. not trust like who looks like Batman. It's but Tim I Burton. Trust yeah. Tim fucking Burton. <laughs> I knew it. That son of a bitch. Why? I fucking I sometimes I really don't like Tim Burton. He just he's a goob. He he does have good good pieces out there, and then it's like just weird shit. Like I'm gonna make a cockroach Batman. Does the, a whole insect make him Batman like why it doesn't fit I don't care I'm gonna have dark circles and pale skin alright yep that's that's uh, wraps up our trivia and we're, we're gonna close out for you guys woo yep and that's that wraps up our 20th episode woo, woo. so uh yeah, thank you for joining us along the ride for 20-plus weeks. Uh, thank you, guys. We appreciate the support. Please tell your mama, your pa, your grandpa, your aunties and uncles and nieces and nephews about this show so we can get a thousand plays and more people to listen. Yeah, please. I mean, do you have a long commute to work? Put that shit on on the train. Well, do you have to leave your dog for long days at a time? We're friendly. We sound nice. Right, you can the dog will love exam. us. Go throw us on. The doctor will, on. Will, will laugh. Yeah, a little love while you know they're checking for all the important bits yeah 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 you doing your taxes throw us on throw us on if you're doing your taxes yeah if, if, you, if you're out there riding a horse throw us on do whatever you need to do to get us a thousand <laughs> likes and views and, and and turn those likes into listens I, I know you're liking our stuff but listen to us and there's no we're not condemning you or anything but like we, we appreciate the feedback and make sure you click subscribe to us make sure you give us five stars on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts as well. That way we can trick the algorithm into thinking that we're this big up and coming podcast, which we are. And we would love that. So we, we tricking them. We'll just be telling them the fucking truth. It's just the truth before they know it's the before truth. Before they know, though. That was very Jenna Lonetti there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll take that compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, please, please. And where can the people find you, Ian? My friends, you can find me on Twitter if you at me at babygotknack or you can find me on Facebook at as Ian Mutiner. And you can find me at B2Jenkins91 on Twitter and on Facebook at Benjamin Timothy Jenkins. You can also find Too Many Flicks at, at Too Many Flicks at the, the number two and then X at the end on any social media platform. Y'all, it's been great. It's been real. We look forward to doing 20 more, 100 more, 1,000 more of these keep you informed and hopefully one day we'll have our own studio and we'll be just like oh and we don't have day jobs and this will be our day job so we can get you as much content as possible that would be fantastic be great that's kind of what we're slightly behind on movie reviews but you know what it's because we have day jobs and we need to make money and we don't we, want to be po yeah yeah well, i mean we can't not be po that's just the yeah. unfortunate this fact doesn't of the matter happen. right now yeah but we just don't want to be homeless yeah 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 you know? yeah, yeah. We don't want to be home without a home we can't do this have you tried recording outside it doesn't work. Yeah, it works. I mean, it, it works. It can. But like, we don't you get the, like, the birds and the bees yeah. and the dogs and the, and trees, the trees and the babies you know, and, and the, the sneeze. <laughs> But yeah, you know, like, uh, but yeah, we look forward to doing more and more content. We'll crank out more and more for you guys, more podcasts on different genres. Hopefully that comes along the way. We've taken it one step at a time. It's new to us. It's new to y'all, but we appreciate you guys listening very, very much. That's from the bottom of our hearts. Mm -hmm. Very much. And, and, and like, subscribe again, do all the things you need to do. We love you guys. Thank you so much for the ride. And uh, we out and we're too many flicks and we watch all the flicks. So that you don't have to. Bye.